Welcome to the Dildork, Storky Discourse on Sex, Dating, and Masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex blogger, a sex journalist, and I love giving people kinks. Like a pretty little present. It's so fun. Who are you, Fred? <laughs> I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and a sex blogger, and I'm I'm too hungover for this shit, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Welcome back to the world. I bought I bought very nice Japanese whiskey yesterday. By very nice I mean I spent like forty bucks. Quit bragging. <laughs> but it was delicious. It's real good. <laughs> You're such a fancy businessman. <laughs> Except not that at all. <laughs> I showed up to the party like later than I wanted to, but I was like, I have whiskey and cookies, so you have to like me. <laughs> That's the best combination. Can we eat and drink that next time I'm with you? Yes. And just get super fucked up. Yes. yes. I brought whiskey, cookies, and weed. I'm an excellent party guest. Oh my god, that's everything you need. <laughs> and like some water, I guess. It's in the faucet. They have one of those. It's in the faucet. It's not in the faucet. <laughs> it's, it's It'll Mary, come through the faucet. It's like it's like Mary Poppins bag, you know? It's all it's bigger on the inside. The bag of holding. Yeah. Yeah. TARDIS. Well, it's this TARDIS has been technology. a weird tangent. Yeah, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> as you've surely intuited, <laughs> this episode is about how kinks are formed. Uh, they probably didn't uh, intuit that. We didn't. There were no clues. Yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> as you've um, probably intuited, well, this episode is going to be a hot mess. <laughs> uh, your brain is kind of like a faucet, and when you turn it on, sometimes kinks, kinks fall out. out. <laughs> Looks like hitting there. the bottom of the sink, like plink, plink. <laughs> Except it would be kink, kink. No. Uh, <laughs> why are we like this? Okay, where do kinks come from? Narnia. Uh, it's <laughs> okay. Wait, though. Do you think that the kids who went to Narnia, like for sure, had kinks because of that? <laughs> oh, you have to. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't. Mm... Just becoming sexually attracted to humanoid lions. Just definitely, like, a lot of furry stuff going that, on there. Oh, did you... Oh, that was tigers. Did you see Girl on the Net's tiger sex post? No. Oh, my God. You should. <laughs> okay, I'll have him read it to me later. Yeah. <laughs> um, and no, Well, no, I mean, I feel like... If, we have, we're so off track. We no, need to actually, get back no, on. I'm bringing this around. Okay. Bear with me. It's still Narnia, but... <laughs> was that a furry joke? <laughs> No. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh-huh. I feel like if the I've read the book so many times that I don't know how to pronounce their name, Pevensey, Pevensey, whatever. Those kids mm-hmm. had, if they recognized themselves as kinky as adults, mm-hmm. I feel like they would have a lot of kinks around that experience, right? They're going to have a lot of feelings and trauma and formative memories around their experience in Narnia. And if they turn out to be kinky people, I think that will manifest as kinks. But I don't think it would make them kinky, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. Oh man, I want to write a psychological dissertation about this. Just like diagnosing famous fictional characters with their kinks doesn't make any sense nobody would accept that (laughs) well it would be fascinating 
I, I feel mm-hmm. some type of way about dying diagnosing people as kinks. Yeah, but, I mean, that's a whole other discussion, the DSM and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah I know what you're saying. Um, but <laughs> so yeah. to, to get back on track a little more, just generally, what is I, your understanding of how kinks are formed? Step back to the D- DSM thing. I definitely mm-hmm. looked up my kinks in the DSM in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Self-pathologization. <laughs> that's so me. Come on. Yeah. Um, what a nerd. But as far as how kinks are formed, I don't... <clears throat> I don't know that there is a real answer to that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, a one universal answer. Um, I think fetishes are more, like, hardwired, whereas Mm -hmm. kinks are more experiential. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Like, I think of fetishes as leaning more towards orientation, not necessarily that they're a part of the queer community inherently because of fetish, but I feel like it's more like a piece of you in the way other orientations and identities can be. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas I think kinks, I view them more as, I don't know if this is going to sound trivializing and I don't mean it to, but like hobbies, things Uh you enjoy doing, um, that bring you, you know, like I have a lot of hobbies that are super important to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and like, I recognize it more that way, more like an activity that you enjoy. And I have Mm -hmm. things about myself that fall into both of those categories. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of different theories on it, and I used to be really interested in this question when I was younger and, like, just becoming a sex nerd. Mm -hmm. I was, like, obsessed with trying to solve the puzzle of, like, how kinks are formed and where they come from, and I don't think that there actually is, like, a clear, like, cut-and-dry answer, like, what I was searching for, Mm -hmm. um, because I think it's really person-dependent and situation-dependent, and, like, there are people, like, you know, our friends on the Off the Cuffs podcast... Every time they have a guest on, they ask, what was your radioactive spider bite into kink? Meaning, like, what was your first kink experience or the thing that brought you into the community or your first memory of kink, whatever. And it's so fascinating listening to all the different answers because some people are like, I don't know, I've always been kinky, can't remember not being kinky ever. And then some people are like, oh, there's this very specific thing that happened to me or this series of things that happened to me that created this kink through association and conditioning. So... There's so many different ways it can happen. I think the human brain is too complicated for there to be just one answer to this question. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I think I think this question gets too much focus a lot of the time. Um, yeah. In that, like, I'm not all that interested in where it comes from. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in how to incorporate it into my life now and, like, what mm-hmm. I can do with it. I find it interesting to look back at things that I can retroactively recognize as kink. Do you have any examples? So, like, yeah, I like to look at formative memories around kink that may not have been origins, but, like, that retroactively I look back and I'm like, oh, that was a kink thing, and then I can take that to learn more about what I find hot about that kink thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can look at it as more data points, but I don't mm. need to look at it as, like, the one origin. Um, yeah. Like, looking back, uh, recently I realized, like, a couple months back I made this connection, or a couple weeks back, honestly, I made this connection, um, that as a kid, 
a lot of kids break their bone, break their arm, break their leg, whatever. At uh, mm-hmm. you know, in elementary school, it, he, there's always some kid in a cast or whatever. Um, I <laughs> yeah. never did, but mm-hmm. I was always a little jealous of the people who did. Like I was always <laughs> super curious as to what that felt like because it was always described yeah. as this like intensely painful thing. And as a mm-hmm. kid, I was always like could I handle that? What would that feel like? And, like, it was such a core, visceral, like, it's as deep into your body as you can get. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Um, And it seems like a a feeling that, like, nothing else would be. And, like, I'm not going to go out and break my bones, like... No. (laughs) Like, that's not... That's edge play. (laughs) That's not a thing that I want to do. Yeah, Um, But, like, ever, like, as a kid, I was, like, preoccupied by it. And even, like, up until recently, every couple of months, my brain's like, I wonder what a broken bone feels like. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, I did that. I was walking to work one day, and I didn't see anyone or whatever. My brain just thought that. And then I was like, oh, I'm a masochist. (laughs) Interesting. Right. That explains I would be curious about pain. Um... (laughs) So, like, it just gave me, like, so I was able to think about that, and it's not like, you know, I, it, it's obviously not an origin thing, but I was able to look at that and be like, so what is it about that type of pain that was interesting to me? What was it about it that, like, fixated mm. that on me? And how can I use that knowledge uh, and incorporate it into my masochism in other ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I... I really didn't identify as kinky until I was, like, in my early 20s. And everything before that, it's difficult to know, like, whether it was a kink thing or not. But the one thing that I do definitely know is that I was always very interested in impressing and getting the attention of Mm -hmm. male authority figures, which I'm sure there are a lot of people who would tell me that I'm a bad feminist or unempowered or have daddy issues, whatever, But I think of that more as just, like, an early manifestation of what are currently some of my kinks around DS and, like, daddy-dom-little-girl types of dynamics and uh, teacher's pet kinds of role plays and stuff like that. And those were just always, like, really important roles and archetypes to me and, like, to the point that some of my most emotionally potent memories from childhood, period, are, like, interactions with male teachers even like not even ones I was necessarily attracted to or aware of being attracted to it was just like this was always kind of an electric dynamic for me and now I'm like oh interesting (laughs) maybe I was kinky and I think what's interesting about that is stuff like that it's easy to have it I think kink gives a healthier outlet for things like that because I know myself as far as like submissive stuff I just, it became more a part of my personality, and as I explored kink, I was able to kind of focus that energy mm-hmm. and be more cognizant of it and when I'm doing it and when I'm not, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just helped me, like, recognize pieces of myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And, like, I have friends who I bonded with because we had a similar feeling of like affinity for uh dominant older men and in some cases some of these friends like ended up like seducing or like dating like their professors and stuff like that they were like very messy situations Mm -hmm. and like also didn't really turn out to be quite what they thought it was going to be and what they wanted it to be because it was more like a fantasy and like for me like I never did that 
Uh, but I just sort of like channeled that desire into like role playing those dynamics with partners. And I do think that that was healthier. I do think that um, that was better for me. Like, I'm not going to try to say like what other people's journey should be, but like seeing the suffering that my friends went through in these complicated situations, fucking their professors. I was like, no, thank you. That's not actually what I want. Yeah. What do you think about, I mean, it's like a hugely prevailing theory uh, the kinksters are very wary of. But what do you think about the theory that a lot of kinks are the result of like trauma or daddy issues or that kind of thing? So, honestly, the same way I feel about like just finding the origin of kinks in general. I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. And, like, right. <laughs> if, <laughs> if they're a coping strategy for the like, massive cultural trauma we have <laughs> like yeah. cultural incidences of trauma across like yeah there's a really high incidence of queer kinky folk and there's a really high incidence of trauma in queer folk like mm-hmm. maybe there's an overlap maybe there isn't but if it helps people cope with their trauma then like why the fuck do we care mm-hmm. um i know for me it's not a result of trauma i don't have any like anything that I recognize as, like, super prevalent trauma in my history. I have, you mm-hmm. know, I have a lot of experiences that made me who I am, but, like, nothing that I would recognize that way, and I'm super kinky, like, and I think for some people it is, and for some people it isn't, and, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it matters. <laughs> <laughs> my biggest issue with that argument is that it's kind of precludes people with trauma from, like, experiencing kink. Yeah, it's like the safe, sane, and consensual thing. Yeah, like, you don't get to do it, because Mm -hmm. obviously it's a result of your trauma, and, like, fuck you? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's always leveled against kinky folks as, like, as if it's this, this, like, gotcha accusation, like, well, you have trauma, so your kinks are, like, not real or not legitimate, or shouldn't be acted out on or whatever, and it's, like, uh, there's this part in the documentary about Melina Williams and her husband mm-hmm. where she talks about like how they're both into sadomasochism and DS and stuff and when he was a kid he was non-consensually spanked by his parents and she was not and yet like they both have that kink so like stuff like that kind of debunks that theory like it's not a one-to-one ratio of like you had this trauma and now you have the kink yeah I like I don't, kinks are so much like a part of who like n- no one asks me where my origin of an interest in baking is like <laughs> no one sits down yeah. and is like Gosh, what do you think made you a baker like it's not <laughs> like they might sit down yeah. and be like oh what are your like fondest memories of baking or like why do you love it or like how did you get into yeah. it yeah. but like no one is like what made you like this I have feelings. I know that I've, I'm sure I've talked about this in the show before, but like uh, a lot of my like childhood, like trauma, I don't know that I would go so far as to say traumatic, but like difficult childhood experiences were like, um, I had kind of a turbulent relationship with my dad and he like spanked me as punishment when I would get in trouble and stuff. And so there are people who would be like, well, clearly that's why you have a DDLG kink and a spanking kink. But I actually believe having done a lot of self-reflection on those things, I actually think that I had those kinks somewhere in me before that, and that was part of why those experiences were so upsetting to me. Because my dad would always be like, 
she's not crying because it hurts. She's just crying because it's embarrassing. Um, and I, I was like very upset. I didn't feel like it was fake tears or just due to the embarrassment. And I think that it was because like there was some feeling of like a sexual something going on and it was being done to me in a non-consensual way. And like Jillian Keenan has written a lot about this, about how like for folks with a spanking kink, spanking can be sexual assault. And like, we need to be more aware of that and we need to not spank kids. It's not good. Yeah. But I mean, on the flip side of that, like I also have a lot of like traumatic childhood experiences having to do with like humiliation and bullying and like people doing really mean stuff to me at school. And I don't really have a lot of kinks around that. Like humiliation is for the most part, a limit of mine. Like, it doesn't turn me on. If it does, it's usually because it's paired with a lot of other stuff that does turn me on. Mm -hmm. So, again, like, not a one-to-one ratio. Like, you can't assume that, like, a trauma is going to form a kink, and you can't assume that all kinks come from trauma. Yeah, and, like... So back to the, like, kink versus fetish thing. I definitely feel Mm -hmm. like my service stuff is more fetishy um, and Uh more, like, a core piece of my sexuality. Um, Mm -hmm. And... That definitely comes from, like, so, um, my mom struggled a lot with depression, and there were a lot of times where when I was really little, she couldn't get out of bed, or, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, and I had to do a lot of caretaking and stuff, and that became mm-hmm. how I showed love, right? Um, yeah. And now service is one of my core love languages, and service is one of my main kinks, and, like... Maybe it came from a fucked up place, but also Mm -hmm. it's a big piece of who I am now and I can recognize when I'm doing it and it's not like, it's, it's just a way I've learned to show affection and I don't think, and because I can recognize it and use it through kink, like it, there was a time where it's a problem, right? There is a way to Mm be, you know, too dependent on taking care of other people and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But manifesting it through kink is a way for me to feel, like, really useful and really satisfying and, like, tap into all of those feel-good feelings that always came with taking care of people mm-hmm. in a framework where that is acceptable and recognized. Right. There's structure and consent. Exactly. Yeah, when my, like, uh, DDLG types of kinks were really intense like before I was even realizing it was a kink like the the way that that would manifest if it was taken too far is like being too much of an overachiever academically Mm -hmm. and like staying up too late to work on assignments and like being obsessive about it uh because it was like really important to me to get the approval of these professors or whoever and like it's so much healthier if I can channel that into kink and like make a little situation where I can definitely succeed and like not feel crushed if I don't succeed yeah (laughs) exactly yeah I wanted to talk a bit about Samuel Hughes, who is a researcher, he has a theory of kink identity development, which I saw him present on at the Alt-Sex conference, and it's based on this thing called the CAS model of gay identity development. So his idea is basically that, like, the way queer folks develop an identity is similar structurally to how kinky folks develop their identity. So, like, you have your early encounters when you're very young, maybe, like, um, seeing stuff on the internet or in books or whatever that you're curious about and then you have exploration with self so trying it out in masturbation um or looking at porn about the thing and then there's a phase called evaluation which is where you're kind of like 
grappling with like, well, what does this mean for my identity if I have this kink? Or like, how would this change my life? What do I want to do with this? And then the next one is finding others. So like finding community, talking to other people with that kink, going on fat life, whatever it is. And then the last one is exploration with others. Um, actually trying the kink with other people. And like, of course, like there can be different orders that that happens in, but I do think it's really interesting that he's laid out this system that I think a lot of people who I know who are kinky went through mm-hmm. every single one of those steps and found each one really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. You were reading that and I was like, yeah, that's how that works. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> that is, yep. Uh, that is a correct sentence. I don't, <laughs> I guess I mean, this it's, is science. It's, <laughs> it seems simple, Yeah, but for me, like, what I took away from that mainly it was that it points to the importance of finding others and finding community and being able to find resources about the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you have a kink and you don't know that kink exists or that this kink in particular exists, like, you're going to feel pretty shitty and confused. And um, this is part of why I think it's really, really important to include uh, kinks in sex education as well as, like, other non-normative sexual identities like asexual and a lot of different identities that people don't hear about because like you need to hear about that stuff in order to be able to find your community and find your sense of self yeah i'm so i'm definitely one of the, i've said this before but i'm one of those people one of the people that identifies as just always being kinky i've yeah um so as soon as i started becoming sexual my question was how do we make this weird um and so, <laughs> like that was uh the <laughs> I immediately was researching, like, in high school, I was on websites for pro-doms and, like, looking at, like, <laughs> how does this work? Yeah. Um, and even I, like, have encountered a lot of stuff and heard someone talking about a kink and being like, oh, <laughs> that uh-huh. too. But, like, yeah. to be a person who has never even really encountered kink stuff and not mm-hmm. had that same level of drive that I had to explore it. Because mm-hmm. um, there are definitely people who are kinky who don't necessarily feel it, like, as a core identity in the way that I do. And, like, that, yeah. th- that's also a totally valid way to be kinky. Like, this feels like I'm creating a hierarchy, but I- I'm not intending to. Yeah, I mean, it's like any sexual activity. Like, there are people who are very into certain acts, and there are other people who feel about those acts that they could take or leave them. Mm-hmm. And there are other people who don't like them. And, like, it doesn't really, you know, say anything about what kind of a sexual person you are in terms of, like, value or quality. Like, you know, yeah, that's and, what you're into. Well, and there are people who don't necessarily feel like kink is their identity, mm-hmm. but still absolutely love kink. Yeah. Right? Um, back to baking. I don't identify as a baker, but, <laughs> I, like, I bake, <laughs> you know, anywhere baker between six to baker. eight times a week. Like, I do it a lot, but it's not, like, an identity for me. And there are definitely people in the kink community who feel that way. And, like, that's super valid, too. Yeah. I learned about myself in that regard when I was dating a person who was, like, pretty into role play, but definitely thought of it as more of, like, a surface level thing than an actual, like, core identity thing. And he would call me, like, a good girl or a good little girl, whatever. And I, when we talked about it, I got the sense from him that he was, like, basically just calling me those names because he knew I liked them and, like, not really seeing that those are, like, who I am in my heart and soul. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think he really understood that and I don't think he really saw me that way. And that is really important to me, not only to feel like those things, but also to feel like I am being seen as those things. Yeah, like, the words only matter if they have meaning. Yeah. And it's really 
uncomfortable to be on a side of a, di- a dynamic that you, like, are perceiving one way and then finding out that they're not invested in the same way. Oh, God, it's horrible. Yeah. Please, never again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done a couple of scenes like that where I'm just like, oh, that was okay. Ugh. <laughs> Do you have any kinks that you think you were born with? I'm going to start playing Lady Gaga here. <laughs> I think I was born kinky. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that there was a kink I was born with, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, yeah, I think I was um, like a piece of my identity is that level of sexual exploration. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm not an adrenaline ju- junkie, but with kink I am. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think I was born in that way. Um, okay. That's like a brain wiring thing, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because I remember, like, as a little kid, you know, you don't, like, you don't fantasize as a kid. You, you daydream, but, like, mm-hmm. there's kind of some overlap. <laughs> and it used to yeah. always be about, like, grappling and fighting. Mm. And, you know, the pain that comes with that and the struggle that comes with that. Yeah. So, like, there, there was a piece of me that was always like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I don't know if I yeah. was, like, came out of the womb, like, you know, fisting, man. It's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> Give me another 25 years and, man, we're gonna have a good time. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's some theorists who think that you can be generally oriented toward a particular thing, like maybe you're submissive or dominant, or maybe you're masochistic or sadistic or something, these big general categories, but then the way that it manifests on a more minute level is determined by the influences that you encounter. So maybe if you see a lot of spanking in your media or in your life, maybe that'll be the thing that you start to gravitate towards. And uh, an interesting piece of data about this that kind of like bolsters this theory is that uh, impact fetishists in the UK are like much more into caning Mm -hmm. um, statistically and uh, over here in North America, much more into paddling. And uh, that has a lot to do with uh, cultural touchstones because caning in like schools and stuff was a much bigger thing culturally over in the UK versus paddling here. So that I find that really interesting yeah. because that says to me that like even though a lot of kinks feel immutable, like maybe there is a part of them that is or was mutable at some point. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. And that's really cool that science supports my ramblings that I just did right there. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's also, there's theories that um, things you encounter when you're very young can uh, can create or strengthen kinks. And, like, Freud kind of said stuff like this, but he sucks, so whatever. Um, (laughs) But other people have posited similar theories. Um, Like, I know a lot of fetishists who have, um, like, fetishes related to specific materials or like clothing objects often it's because they encountered those in youth in some kind of emotionally charged situation uh i always think of this dude who messaged me on youtube one time uh when i used to play music on youtube and he asked me to film a video of my feet on the piano pedals as i was playing and i (laughs) i didn't want to do it because that's like a weird 
uh, request to make of someone who was probably 16 or something oh, at the time. No, no. But baby sex nerd me was like very fascinated and I, I asked him like, well, why are you into that? And he told me that when he was a kid, he used to like sit on the floor while his mom was playing piano and he would watch her feet on the pedals. And so I guess that there was some association that developed there with nice feelings. And uh, wow, brains are interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like, I love hearing where people feel like their kinks come from, right? And w- mm-hmm. what touchstones they have in the kind of progression of their kink. It's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I feel like I have anything... You know, I have stuff that I joke, right? Like, moments mm-hmm. that I look back on and I'm like, oh, that that's what made me gay. Or like, oh, that's what... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell, the entire album made me gay, it's fine. Um, <laughs> or trans, I don't know, I just know at the end I wanted to be Meatloaf. Um, <laughs> and you've continued along that journey slowly but surely. Really have. Also, par- <laughs> End of Paradise by the Dashboard Light is a femdom scene, no one will ever take this from me. I believe this to okay. be true. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're getting off topic. <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. I was just trying to think if I have any kinks that I think I was born with, and I it's just the entire period of my life when I thought I was vanilla is just this, like, empty block in my head. <laughs> I, I can't pick it apart. I'll, I'll figure it out eventually. I gotta go read some old journals or something. <laughs> figure it out. I got a question for yeah. you. I mean, I have several questions for you. That's the format of this podcast, but... <laughs> so, um, I'm having an interesting series of thoughts lately about uh velvet Mm -hmm. (laughs) um because as you know uh when i go shopping for the past like year ish i'm like abnormally drawn to velvet items Uh i buy too many of them um recently i was shopping for a dress to wear on my anniversary date with my boyfriend and i was looking for something that i would feel really really sexy and pretty in and i spent all day shopping and then i eventually settled on just like a blue velvet dress and i was like oh fucking course (laughs) Um, but I'm kind of grappling, like, I guess, cause like, I'm a fucking kink nerd and I do this for a living and stuff. Part of me is like, well, surely this must be a kink because why else would I be drawn to this thing over and over again? And uh, my boyfriend yeah. was like, you know, you can just like, like things. Like you can just enjoy how certain things feel in your senses and like <laughs> have it not be a kink. I don't think that's but I'm wondering true. If you have- <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'm wondering what, what would you consider the line? Like, how do you recognize a kink as such versus just being something you'd like in a non-kink way? I don't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I don't. Uh-huh. So there are things that are definitively kinks, right? And there are mm-hmm. things that I was going to say definitively aren't, but I'm not sure there are. Um <laughs> not for you anyway there are th- like so there are things that are definitively kinky and then there are things that can be kinky in the right context right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i'm gonna talk about baking more because this is who i am um i enjoy <laughs> baking right it's a mm-hmm. mindfulness thing for me it occupies enough of my brain um that it can't wander and obsess but mm-hmm. um whatever i get i get to make you know delicious baked things for people it's great. I love mm-hmm. it. And sometimes when I'm into people, I will bake them things as like a servicey thing. Yeah. And it feels a lot. It feels like a kink to me in that context, right? Because I'm like performing this skill for someone. 
um, right. and it's something that I'm really good at. So there are de- there is a spectrum, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't know. I look at things and I don't go this. Sometimes I go, this must be a kink. But other times I look at things and go, okay, but how can I make this a kink? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think if I had like a corollary to that, it would be like, I have been good at math for much of my life and it is not a kink. I (laughs) I would not consider math a kink, but I have used it in kink ways like uh, in relation to the teacher's pet types of role plays and it can be sort of a tool in in those situations. And also, like, I remember I struggled with this a lot when I was trying to figure out whether I had a winking kink or not. I, I, I probably talked that through with you a lot. Yeah. You probably told me, oh, yeah, it's for sure a kink. <laughs> I, that's your Literally advice. anything. If someone comes to me and is like, is this a kink? I'll be like, sure, yeah, absolutely. Definitely right. is. Yeah, because it, it's such a struggle because, like, I get sort of an excited... Uh, feeling in my body and my brain when someone cute winks at me in kind of a flirty way and like you know that makes sense like that is the intention of winking like that is to evoke that feeling I think yeah. but also I became aware that my reaction seemed to be stronger than it generally is for most people and I think it partly has to do with like my eroticization of people having control over me Mm -hmm. because it is a way for someone if they especially if they know about this for them to like deliberately exercise control over my mood and how I feel in my body in a way that sometimes is like very instant like so fast that I can't like I'm not even aware that it's happening until it's happening so yeah I don't know I do consider it a kink but there are so many people who when I tell them that they either don't really understand or just like don't know what to do with it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you think I have a velvet kink back? <laughs> <laughs> I think you could do some cool scenes with velvet. Uh huh. You gonna throw? And some I think you'd enjoy them. <laughs> um, actually, though, like, what about velvet as like aftercare stuff, though? Like, mm. what if you got like a blanket with velvet on it or something, and that was like your aftercare blanket? A friend of mine does that. Um, he has a heavy fur blanket that mm-hmm. at the end of every scene you do with him, he wraps you in it. Um, mm-hmm. And he sent... Uh, he has a long-distance partner and actually sent them one so that during long-distance scenes they could have that same like big, heavy comfort thing. What if you had oh, like a velvet nice. blanket? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now I'm thinking, like, what if I had... Uh, like, what if I, like, face-planted in a piece of velvet while getting fucked or mm-hmm. spanked or whatever it may be? I feel like that would, if, if it isn't a kink, I feel like that would strengthen some connections yes. and perhaps create an association there, which brings me to something I wanted to ask you about, which is, like, do you think that if you wanted to, you could force yourself to develop a particular kink, and how would you do that? Yeah. um just a matter of association kind of like what you were talking about right you link the thing to stimulus that feels good and then eventually Mm -hmm. it becomes stimulus that feels good right pavlov's dogs kind of thing um yeah so i saw this i was looking at this study that apparently found that if you show they showed dudes a bunch of pictures of naked women paired with photos of boots 
And after this, uh, they found that eventually the men would just become aroused at the sight of the boots. So, like, it's definitely a real thing. It works. It happens. Yeah, you could totally do that. Yeah. (laughs) But the question Uh, is, should you? Yeah. So, like, interestingly, I have noticed this not only with kinks, like, psychologically, but also with physical sensations. And an example is that, like, I really like having my hips grabbed. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, like, it mm-hmm. feels like uh-huh. an erogenous zone to me, but it did not always. And I think the reason it does now is because I have so many times been fucked really hard from behind while someone was holding my hips that it sort of, like, stirs those types of feelings in my body and brain, even though, like, that is not, like, inherently a super pleasurable spot for mm-hmm. me. Amazing. So cool. Have you ever, uh, <laughs> have you ever deliberately cultivated a kink in yourself? I've never deliberately cultivated one. I've, like, explored them and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but I've never sat down and, like, came up with a plan to be into something. <laughs> um, don't laugh, because that, yeah. that is totally a thing I would do. I just haven't Virgo, yeah. had the, you know, opportunity or reason to do it. Right. Yeah. I think the only time that I have, like, really wanted to do this or thought about doing this is, like, if I had a partner who had a kink that was quite far removed from things I had previously been into and I wanted to find a way to get on their level. And so often we would discuss, like, well, what can we work into this that will sort of, like, help our kinks meet in the middle? Like, a great example is, like, my partner is into erotic hypnosis. And uh, I'm not not, like, I wasn't not into that. I wasn't, like, repelled by the idea or anything. But it just, like, didn't do anything for me on the face of it. But then I started thinking about ways that you can combine that with uh, dominance and submission. Like, someone having power over you from inside your own brain. And we've also combined it with, like, impact and uh, you can do, like, hypnotic bondage, which, like, bondage is a big kink for me. So there, there's a lot of ways that you can, like, as we said, like, use repetition and conditioning to, like, link a thing to things you already find pleasurable. And then you can kind of just, like, expand your pleasure possibilities. And it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can get rid of a kink once you have it? <laughs> you're, you're making this face like, but why would you ever <laughs> want to? <laughs> That's kind of the thing. Like... Mm-hmm. Part of me rejects the premise of the question, um, <laughs> because I think it's, like, I think there would be a lot of people who would try to do that out of shame, um, yeah. and a yeah. lot of that looks more like repression than getting rid of a kink, um, yeah. and so I have a lot of complicated feelings around all of that. Um, yep. I can see that there would be situations where someone might want to because of being in a relationship where it wasn't possible or being in life circumstances where it wasn't super safe or possible to act out a thing. But yeah, I think for the most part, that thought just makes me sad. And I want those people to find community and like safe ways to do the thing that they want to do. Yeah. And I mean, like, I don't know that you can, I think it depends on the intensity of the kink, right? Uh Like, there's certain stuff that I'm into that if it doesn't come up for a while and I don't have, like, I don't pursue erotica around it and I'm not around anyone Mm -hmm. who's into it, like, it Mm -hmm. can kind of fall by the wayside, but stuff like 
service or masochism, like, that's not gonna, you know, power, that's not gonna go away for me. And I don't, I don't yeah. see a healthy way to make that go away for me. Yeah, I think I've had some things go away from kind of uh, disuse, like, you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Yeah. Like, uh, my first girlfriend in high school had a faux hawk a lot of the time. And resultingly, I was, like, very attracted to faux hawks for, like, years after that. There's kind of some some sort of association going on there. And now it's been, like, 11 years and uh, a long time since I've been attracted to that person. And that faux hawk thing has, like, kind of gone away. I still think they're cute. Whatever. People can wear them if they want yeah. to. I just don't have, like, sexy feelings about them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably good because it's 2018. <laughs> Let's move on from the faux hawk. Am I right? So you can pick up kinks... From partners, we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Have you ever given someone else a kink? Like a sweet little gift? <laughs> I don't know that I've given anyone a kink. I think I've helped a lot of people think critically around like their own sexuality and find some stuff that they're into. Um, mm-hmm. I... And this is not just, like, partners. I think just, like, people in my life meet me and are like, Oh, so kink. Because <laughs> I'm a loudmouth. Um, <laughs> so I think I've just... And I mean, honestly, that's, like, kind of the point of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, kind of why we're here. <laughs> Kink propaganda. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, so I think I've, like, helped facilitate people in finding kinks. Um, yeah. I've never deliberately given someone a kink, and I would n- feel very complicated ways about doing that. Um, yeah, there's a lot of ethical considerations. There. I like that's up there with getting a tattoo for a partner with for me. Mm. Like th- those are on the same level for me, and I would maybe do that one day for a like maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like that's like I've got piercings as part of a relationship in the past, but like a tattoo is a whole other thing, and like implanting a kink in someone's brain is a whole other thing like yeah well i mean i think there's arguments to be made either way on that one because sometimes like you explore a kink for the first time with a new partner who knows it knows about it and um if there's like a painful breakup or something maybe you never want to try that kink again with anybody else like maybe it's just too painful but then i also know people who tried a thing because a partner was into it and like didn't really think they were going to be into it but then like really got into it like I had a a former fuck buddy person who um his biggest kink was rope bondage like it was like the biggest thing that turned him on and he loved it so much but he got into it because he was dating someone who was really into it and uh wanted him to tie her up and stuff and so he learned and found that he really really loved it and it's like difficult to say whether like was he into it already on some level and didn't know about it? Or did he just sort of pick it up through this experience? I don't know that it's really, like, worth picking that apart necessarily. But, like, he carried this kink forward into the rest of his life after that, presumably. So. Yeah, well, and I think that's kind of the difference for me, right? Because that's more you facilitated someone's exploration of this, right? Uh-huh. Um, 
versus when I think of giving someone a kink, I think of that intentional conditioning that we were talking about mm. and like really yeah, developing definitely get someone's consent. And, yeah, and that like that is a consent thing. That is like a serious relationship level thing. Like mm-hmm. because that that implanted kink is also always going to be linked to that person. And yes. we kind you know, you, you'll, you may be able to pull that apart with, you know, work and in the future. And like, you know, mm-hmm. that person may not be a negative memory. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, it, it, it feels like getting a tattoo for a partner with me. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a yeah. lot. I've had two partners who, uh, had never done the daddy dom thing before meeting me. And one of them last year um, had been like curious about it and thought that it would be a good fit for him, but had just like never tried it. And then we tried it together for the first time and both really liked it. And the other one, my current partner had like never thought of himself in those terms before. Um, never really been interested in being a daddy dom. And um, I was like really hesitant to try it with him because I really didn't want to get into the situation where you like, you feel like you're like forcing something on someone or that they're just saying yes, because like they want to appease Uh you or make you happy or make you feel good. And like, they're not really feeling like they're in that role. So I remember I was like drunk one night and I texted him like being drunk is making me want to call you daddy, which is kind of like the sort of like 90, 10 consent strategy that we sometimes advocate Uh where like, you don't say I'm going to kiss you now and grab them and kiss them you say maybe like I really want to kiss you right now and see what they say so I kind of did that and he responded positively and like we you know built on it slowly from there um but yeah like even though I knew I had that kink for a while before that partner last year like I still really connected the daddy dom thing to him for a long time even after like we had a really painful breakup so you do definitely want to like tread carefully with new kinks I think especially if they're like psychologically impactful for you because mm-hmm. um, like losing my first daddy dom one of the most devastating experiences of my life and like it felt like it shouldn't have been because we only dated for three and a half months but you know kinks really get deep in there sometimes and that was really really difficult mm-hmm. i also want to say that like that process of conditioning and like making connections in like a pavlovian way that is in itself a kink for some people i've like seen mm-hmm. this a lot in like the hypnosis community of like um, instilling hypnotic suggestions in someone that they uh, might like become addicted to a thing or like addicted to a person or um, become aroused at the sight of a thing that they weren't aroused at before and it's like uh, in the hypnosis community like the people who are doing it ethically are aware that like you don't do that shit lightly like you talk about yeah. it and you negotiate it you make really really sure that you really want to do that and because uh, you're fucking around with someone's brain and like even if you're not doing that with hypnosis even if you're just trying to like give someone a kink like again like that is ethically dicey like make really sure everybody really wants to do that and understands what is going to be involved in that yeah and on that uplifting note <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the dildorks i have been kate sloan you can find my sex blog at girlyjuice.net and the rest of my writing at katewritesaboutsex.com and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. Where's your stuff? 
I'm Bex. You can find all my writing at BexTalkSex.com, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at BexTalkSex. Together with the Dildorks, we're at the Dildorks on Twitter and Instagram and at thedildorks.com. You can also find us by searching your favorite podcast app, and while you're there, rate and review us, brings us up in the charts, and makes us easier for other sex nerds to find. If you want to toss a couple of bucks our way to help us keep doing what we're doing, you can go to patreon.com slash dildorks and get all kinds of rad perks for doing it. Thank you so much to Protodome for letting us use his song, I Want You in My Bedroom, as our theme song. And thank you to Amy for doing our logo for us. She is at starboots underscore on Twitter. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. I feel like this episode is just going to be a lot of us being like, so I'm not a scientist, but here's what I think about a thing that we really should have a scientist weigh in on. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yep. (laughs) It's fine. I minored in psychology. I'm almost (laughs) qualified, sort of. We got this. Glide wants to know my gender and I'm too drunk for this. I just like Mm. stared at it. Like, question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Does not compute. That's good. I'm in a good place. (laughs) Somehow your dude has managed to, like, not look up every time you talk about him, and I don't know how that happens. Mm, I think he's just very focused. (laughs) There he is. Hi, Max. Hi. Because he literally, like, you kept mentioning him, and he was just sitting there, and I know me, like, anytime someone mentions me anywhere, I'm like, what's happening? What, what do you, 